Welcome to the Best of Two podcast. I'm Greg, and I play Best of One formats on Arena. I'm David, and I play Best of Three formats on Magic Online and Paper. And we're here to discuss the differences in our experiences playing Magic on different platforms. On today's episode, we're here talking about Shadows over Innistrad Remastered. So what is Shadows over Innistrad Remastered? It's basically a mashup of Shadows over Innistrad and Eldritch Moon, plus, as we'll talk a little bit later, a rotating sheet of Mystical Archive-style cards, uh, similar to what we saw in Strixhaven and other formats like that. This is an arena-only product that is going to be available between March 21st and April 18th on Arena and is part of what I would call Watsi's accelerated schedule to get the Pioneer format fully onto Arena. David, how do we approach a remastered set generally? What is your take on how you would approach a, a new set like this where the the cards exist and we've played it before, but maybe not in this exact format? Well, especially in week one, I tend to stay away from synergistic archetypes because they usually flood the card pool with a bunch of stranded archetypes. And also at the top end, there's usually a bunch of extremely bomby cards. So I like just kind of going rates, two drops, uh, removal and tricks, and just playing good bread and butter limited, and then using that to figure out what synergistic decks beat me and shifting toward them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think what we've seen before, we've seen two different remastered sets on Arena before. We've seen Kaladash remastered and Amonkhet remastered. And in in my experience, those um, provided different types of experiences. Amonkhet Remastered was the the first of those to come out and provided sort of more of a mid-range experience, probably fell in the middle of the range of formats regarding speed and power level, whereas Kaladesh Remastered really pushed the envelope and, and definitely felt a lot more to me like original Kaladesh as opposed to Amonkhet Remastered, which felt a little closer to Hour of Devastation as opposed to the linear Amonkhet format. Does that ring a bell to you? Totally. I played both of these formats on Arena, oddly enough, which is what informs my opinion. And you're right, they were different. And in the second one, they packed in more goofiness and more extra bombs. Right. And the, it was more and more um, chaotic, closer to Wacky Draft. Yeah, absolutely. So then as we're getting into a set like Shadows of Innistrad Remastered, it was a little bit before my time. It was certainly not on Arena. I don't have any experience, right? They're putting it on to Arena for a purpose to get these cards available to the Arena audience to make them available for formats on Arena. So what was your experience playing Shadows and Eldritch Moon in paper? And on Moto, to be honest. Moto is Magic Online. Uh, I remember Shadows over Innistrad being defined by the graveyard. There were a lot of graveyard decks, and Delirium was in roughly every color, and if not Delirium, there was a bunch of Sacrifice. There were a few go-wide decks, but otherwise, for the era, it was in. It was a fairly typical limited set. I think people liked it. Um, one of the big draws to the limited format was Clues. Clues were really fun. It was the first introduction to Clues, and the Clue deck, if you got the Uncommons, felt awesome. Usually, Green... Uh, blue is not a supported archetype. The rare sets that it is, I find kind of fun, and I force it often. As far as Eldritch Moon, I think Eldritch Moon was defined by two different deck styles. One was uh, slightly above rate beats. I would say featuring Brazen Wolves, which 
uh, was a three-mana red creature that attacked as a 4-3. It really set the bar for the speed of the set. And then on the other end of the scale, there was extremely large creatures that the entire game became playing around. For example, these emerge creatures. I recall Clearshot. This was the first time Clearshot was printed, which is a three-mana instant that uh, gives a creature plus one, plus one, and does a one-sided fight. Yeah, that card was a beating. It was insane it was a mythic uncommon and you know the creature is so big you know we're talking about like a, a nine seven or something huge you know what i mean um and you block with your whole team and then they just clear shot and there was no way to play around it i remember losing so many games that way right right um but you could get under these decks pretty easily by either beating up the enablers or just aggroing them out and again it was a pretty fun set i want to say i think both of these sets were pretty well received yeah shadows over innershad was kind of the one of the original sets where we we sort of knew what was going on with the lore and then they hit us with uh, a weird twist in eldritch moon which was sort of the eldrazi invasion uh storyline and and my recollection from it had a little bit more to do with sort of that dichotomy between the cards and shadows did one thing and operated one way and eldritch moon was similar but had this weird eldrazi twist to it that made it feel different so i do remember that there was a little bit of a a, a sea change when you when you went to uh, a draft format where instead of opening three packs of shadows you had two of one and one of the other definitely do you want to know my most drafted common from shadows eldritch moon on magic online which is yes. usually a pretty fun indicator of i valued this car hi card higher than everyone else at the time absolutely that sounds great i have a two-way tie between ghoul colors accomplice it's a two mana two two in black that you can exile it from your graveyard for four mana to make a two two as a sorcery nice uh obvious rate card very gluey it was just great and my second i have the same exact amount of them true faith sensor it's an equipment, a two-mana equipment. A canted creature gets plus one, plus one in Vigilance, and if it's a human, it gets an extra plus one. So it's uh, two to cast and two to equip. Uh, this card just had such a good rate. Uh, there were a lot of humans. Even if you were in Wolves and Werewolves, the front side was almost always human. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a card that I remember being good uh, in decks that I like to draft. I remember this being a time in Magic where... We sort of were in between where we're at now with equipment, where equipment is either really efficient or really clunky. And in order to make up for its clunkiness, they usually give us either a free creature attached to it or a free equip cost or something like that to sort of like play with the balance of cost on the front side versus cost to equip on the back side. And this was in a period of time with Shadows where... Most of the equipment had gone from being really overpowered in original Mirrodin and over the next decade plus that they were developing equipment to this point where sometimes it was thrown in at common or uncommon and it was either flavorful or something like that, but it wasn't always really a very good card. And I remember True Faith Sensor being an actual good card. Yeah, and they were, you know, after original Mirrodin, everyone remembers uh Leon and scimitar and volshock morningstar right and right. those are the the watermarks for great common equipment and then like 
for a decade, all equipment and limited was pointless. Right. And, yeah, and then they were starting to push. And I remember True Fate Center being quite good. And actually, in original Innistrad, there was some quite good equipment, too. Right. And then, you know, very shortly after Shadows, we had Ixalan with Pirate's Cutlass, which, like you were saying, it just, like, jumped onto a pirate. This card was the highest win rate common in the set. It was absurd. I, I don't know that for a fact, because we didn't have data back then, but... Yeah, this card get got first picked nonstop in that set. Well, I remember that to be true. It was it was one of the first sets that was on Arena, but I didn't play it on Arena, but I definitely played original Ixalan a lot. I'm not sure, as an aside, I'm not sure there was a set with a bigger dichotomy between the speed of the format between original Ixalan and Rivals over Ixalan. No, it was absurd. It was absurdly fast. So uh, you mentioned a couple of mechanics a little bit ago, just to give a top-down perspective of the mechanics that are in the set, because we will be mention- mentioning them later. Uh, we have the Return of Madness. Uh, we also have Investigate, which you mentioned is the uh, mechanic that created clue tokens for the first time, which was very flavorful in the set. Uh, because we're on Innistrad, we've got Transform cards. But I think you're right. The This set was definitely dominated by, by things that, that matter for the graveyard. Um, we have Delirium, which is a graveyard mechanic, and we have uh, a couple of other things that that play into that. We also have three two Eldrazi horrors that are created off of cards that obviously are coming from Eldritch Moon. We have Emerge, which is an Eldrazi-like mechanic that we can talk a little bit later. Uh, and finally, we have Escalate, which is sort of the bread and butter kicker mechanic or kicker variant that wizard likes to give us i think that's it david would you like to get into the the meat of the of the topic for today yeah i i put this together i want to talk about the archetypes you expect to see and how how much teeth they're gonna have you know because these remastered remix sets and even back in the day when they mashed up you know two sets of a block into one draft set a lot of the archetypes kind of die off so we're trying to predict here right. what we think will be playable and what won't. So uh, start us off with the, the first archetype that you want to talk about. I want to talk about wolves. Wolves, werewolves. This was kind of supported at Uncommon back in these sets. Um, and there, was all, all, there were a bunch of cards that interacted with Transform. But what we're missing, in my opinion, was the cornerstone of the wolf deck, which is Brazen Wolves. It was a 2-3 three for 3 that attacked as a 4-3, which by many measurements in Eldritch Moon, was the measuring stick of the aggressive decks. Um, we're also missing Solitary Hunter, which was a 4-mana 3-4 that flipped into a 5-6 in green. And you know how green very often has a 4-drop common that is the sizing metric of creatures in the set? Well, that right. one's missing. And to make up for it, they dropped Deranged Whelp to common, which was a used to be an uncommon. It was a 2-1 for 2 with Menace in red. Right. I think the deck is mostly there, other than obviously Brazen Wolves, which is going to be sorely missed. Um, it looks like it's more uh, crowded around the two-drop slot, so it's going to look a little bit different. You're going to have to run some more ways to get in instead of just muscling your way with, uh, through the finish line. Yeah, and I think we saw um, a little bit of this when we went from Midnight Hunt to Crimson Vow, where it didn't seem like the werewolves were the main... Um, idea of that set but it was definitely better in crimson vow and i i think i remember that being mostly because the two into three into four curve 
was there, and most importantly, that the good two drops were there, and and the the format wasn't necessarily as hostile to werewolves. Um, do you see this as a format in which red and green rates are going to uh, be a good place to start, at least maybe week one, day one? Definitely, and it's worth mentioning that red has excellent removal for anything small and mid-sized, and you have rabid bite and green. Rabid bite is made for green red rates this type of card is always made for green red rates we're seeing that in current set was this the first set that we had rabid bite I believe so yeah that's my recollection as well the other thing i want to say about werewolves is when i was going through the spoiler i was looking for gold on commons because watsi usually gives us gold signpost on commons and what i noticed was when i went through the actual spoiler there were only four actual gold on commons and I found that a little weird, and they were all enemy-colored, and there wasn't even a cycle of five of them. So <laughs> it, it made me think, what am I missing? And I think what I was missing was that each of the gold uncommons, or I think what they intend to be gold uncommons from this set, because Shadows Over Innistrad didn't actually have gold uncommons. They had monocolored cards with off-color activated abilities. and one yep. of And one of those... Uh, we do find in this set in the... Um... Ulrich's Kindred yes. is what you're thinking of. It's the 3-mana three 3-2 three with Trample. You can activate for 3 and a green to give an attacking wolf indestructible. This thing was pretty hard to do combat around, but you could only activate once a turn. So Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking about. So my point is that when we're talking about these archetypes... When I originally looked at the set, I was I was confused not seeing a full cycle of at least one gold uncommon for each two-color pair. And what I discovered was they gave us these monocolored cards with off-color activations for each of the color pairs that don't have an actual gold uncommon. So, yeah, there's a humans one too. Yeah, it, it seems to be each of the tribal themes that we're going to talk about. Um, the five main Innistrad tribes being... Wolves, vampires, zombies, spirits, and humans each have a monocolored card with an uh, off-color activation. Yeah. So what's the next archetype you want to talk about? Delirium. Uh, I want to talk about Delirium. Delirium was like the marquee archetype in Shadows. Uh, Every deck used the graveyard, roughly. And what is Delirium? Delirium is if you have four or more card types in your graveyard, you get an extra special mode of a card. It's similar to a lot of sets have this type of mechanic, like um, Threshold was the first one that comes to mind. So um, Delirium is a is a take on, is a newer take on a Tarmogoyf mechanic. Totally. And the key to turning on Delirium and original Shadows of Vernistrad was getting a land in there and just playing a normal game or trying really hard. You know, and they had Evolving Wilds and some stuff like that where lands would get in the graveyard. But you needed a few enablers to do it consistently in the course of like a normal seven to eight turn limited game. Right. Because what you're talking about there is uh, you need four card types in your graveyard. By playing normal limited magic, you're going to get creature sorcery and instant in your graveyard just by playing a normal game so you need to either find a way to get a land or some sort of enchantment or artifact in there to really turn it on uh yes so there were two like kind of generic delirium enablers um that were quite good and it's like vessel of nascency and terrarian terrarian wasn't quite good but you can put it in a lot of decks so you'd end up drafting it as a glue card Vessel of Nascency 
is a green enchantment and it's one mana and you can pay two mana to mill a bunch of cards draw a card and put the enchantment itself in the graveyard so this card would turn on delirium almost every time by itself it was extremely good at doing this it's all constructed play it's been upshifted to uncommon and this was in a cycle of five common vessels which were all enchantments that sacrificed to your graveyard uh the other four have been removed so what does that tell you about green and delirium if vessel of nascency is the only remaining card from that cycle and it's upshifted to uncommon well in the grand scheme of this uh, you're jumping on my conclusion i guess but i, I think it's going to be pretty hard to make delirium work it, it was it was pretty straightforward to make it work in shadows you just had to draft a few of like you didn't even have to get uh, vessel of nascency you just had to get a bunch in the pantheon that would do it for you you needed a plan you know and i think there are very few enablers left it remains to be seen but um they've downshifted a few things like imprisoned in the moon which is uh, a blue aura that makes any permanent into a crappy land right um but that's usually not going to go to the graveyard um and they downshift to make up for the fact that they kind of gutted the enablers. They downshifted a lot of payoffs. So we have Narwhal Dryad, which is a one mana one one death toucher, which turns into a three three with Delirium. We have Obsessive Skinner, which is a two mana one one that throws counters if you have Delirium. And those were quite good, but it looks like the only Delirium colors now are green black. There was a Delirium card in every color in Shadows of Verindistrad. Right. And you would have some pretty funky like soup decks of like three slash four colors because on top of this mechanic, you would have this card called Fork in the Road, which they also removed. It's a two mana green sorcery that mills cards and takes a land. It's obvious why this card would be good in three slash four color decks because you have ways to take a bunch of cards off the top of your deck and find the land you're looking for. They did give us a card to replace that though, right? Did they? Don't we have Grapple of the Past? Oh yeah, Grapple's in here. That's correct. Right, so they gave us Grapple of the Past to replace that type of effect. Not that that's a better or worse thing, it's just a another card that fills that slot. For what it's worth, Grapple was quite good. Uh, another card that was played in Standard in the Standard Delirium decks. Right. Um, yeah, you're going to have to get your Grapples. That's the only thing I'm going to say. And also, it's green-black only. You're not going to be expected to get bombs off-color that say Delirium on them like you used to. Right. Uh, for example, the card I think of is the White Spirit 2-drop. It's a 2-mana two 2-2. Two -two. If you have Delirium, it has Flying, which makes it very good. Um, so in the Spirits deck, you were looking to get Delirium. In the Humans deck, there were some cards where you were looking to get Delirium. So yeah, it's green-black only. A lot of the easy enablers are gone, so you're going to have to go pretty far into it. Right. No, it's a good Otherwise, point. Otherwise, sorry, good. No, I was just going to say, it's a, it's a good point. It uh, it points us in the direction of, rather than Delirium being a very uh, flavorful and broad mechanic that touches all of the colors, uh, it's very focused. It seems to be in green and black. Also, it kind of had this effect where these enablers were really good, so you drafted them kind of early because it supported so many different archetypes. That's no longer true. You're not going to be drafting these early. Right. They're going to have to be passed to you in the middle or late end of the pack to communicate to you that nobody near you is in delirium. Right. So it's going to be a little more obvious when it's open because it's a little more focused in those colors. It's going to tell you that green and black is more open than as opposed to before in the original set where it 
was just sort of ubiquitous. Yes, I'm guessing that in the first week, a lot of people are going to try drafting Delirium, not understanding that it's going to be hard to turn on. Because not a lot of cards say Delirium explicitly, but they interact with the graveyard. They want you to have cards there, or they put cards there, and they're going to look to people who drafted Shadows over Innistrad really enticing, because you remember how well they performed. Yeah, I wonder how much of the current arena player base played original Shadows of Innistrad. Just because I played it, I didn't play it a lot. It'll be interesting to see how much of the current player base is coming to it with an understanding of Innistrad, you know, their most recent memory being Midnight Hunt and Vow and never really having the experience of the original templating on werewolves and things like that. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, so what is the next uh, archetype you want to talk about? Emerge. Uh, this was a colorless card that had an alternate mana cost, including a colored symbol where you sack a creature and you pay the difference in the mana cost. This was in Eldritch Moon. The card that everyone thinks of for this mechanic is Wretched Griff, which was an 8-mana 3-4 flyer. It had an alternate cost, 7-mana, including a blue pip, and you would emerge it. You would sack a creature. And oftentimes you would get this guy in turn uh, in play on turn 3 or 4. Not turn 3, but 4 or 5. Um, it was very impactful. It's a 3-4 flyer that draws a card, and you would put cards in your deck that sacrificed really well. So there was a 3-mana 2-2 that died and drew a card. There was a 4-mana 0-2 that died into a 3-2 token. So there were a lot of ways to make it feel like you didn't really pay a lot. Um, otherwise, Wretched Griff is the only common emerge creature. So before before we get into the differences in what we have in emerge decks uh, or in that archetype now versus what we had before, I, I was thinking about this recently. Would you consider emerge being sort of a precursor to the prototype mechanic? That's a good question. Let me think about that. Um, it's kind of the opposite of prototype. It is. It is. All right, I have a better one for you. Ready? Yeah. I think it's closer to mutate. So that was going to be the one. It was Dreamtail Heron, right? With, oh, sure. Yeah. From, from when, Ikoria. Absolutely. That's a great comp. Dreamtail Heron, four and a blue for a three, four flyer. When this creature mutates, draw a card. So Dreamtail Heron was a four mana or was a 5-mana 3-4 flyer, but when you cast it for its mutate cost, which was 3 and a blue, and mutated it onto another creature, you got to draw a card. Yeah, this card was pretty good. Uh, it ended up being that this set wasn't really about mutate. <laughs> it was about cycling. Right. But I think that's a fantastic comp. Yeah, but on rate, right, that is the that was sort of the card that followed on Wretched Griff. I completely agree, and I think that, you know, looking at this card and just the mana cost, the rate, yeah, it's just Wretched Griff. Wretched Griff was very impactful. Very, very impactful. So then what are we missing from an Emerge deck? Oh, hmm, everything else. <laughs> uh, you're going to still play your Wretched Griffs. Sorry, I apologize. I said it was seven mana for Emerge. It was six. That's what made this card so sick. Right. There is the three mana two two that dies draw a card. It's called Exultant Cultist in blue, um, but we're missing pretty much every other emerge ena uh, enabler, including the uncommons. And 
I think that mostly you're just going to be playing this guy for value and not really building an emerge deck. It used to be, you know, oh, I have like three Wretched Griffs. This is awesome. Let me put some crappy enablers in. No, you're probably just going to have Wretched Griff. Well, that's a pretty good thing to have, right? And that is, it seems to be Watsi's indication that emerge is going to be mostly a blue-based mechanic. At least at common, that is. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it an archetype, if I'm being honest. Fair enough. So... Uh, I see Madness is the next archetype you have listed here. Madness is, in my memory, one of the hallmark mechanics of of the original Shadows of Renistrad set because it was the first time I actually encountered that mechanic, which was a returning mechanic at the time. Totally. And when it came back, everyone was like, hell yeah, Madness. It was, you know, it was pretty influential to the limited environment where if it was turn three... Yeah, if it was turn three and you had a discard outlet on board and your opponent attacked into you, you just smiled because you had Twins of Maurer Estate, which is a three mana three five on the madness cost. This card was a house. It just came down and ate up anything that could possibly attack, including Brazen Wolves. It was also, you would get people by telegraphing that you had this card and just not putting it into play and you would just time walk them, you know? Right. It was very fun to do this. Um, Anyway, they removed this card. Well, and what you're talking about from the madness mechanic there, just to clarify, is that even though a card like a creature that has madness normally would be cast unless it had flash at sorcery speed on your own turn, any card with madness basically has, if you have an instant speed discard outlet, any card with madness has uh, essentially flash. That's right, yeah. Uh, you get to cast it when you discard it. So this was also true of sorceries. Right. Uh, and some enchantments, actually. Um, anyway, so they removed Twins of Maurer Estate, which was a 5-mana 3-5 that you could Madness in for 3. It was very impactful. They also got rid of Murderous Compulsion, which is a 2-mana sorcery that destroys a tapped creature for 1 and a black, but obviously if you're doing it in the middle of combat, their creature's going to be tapped. Right. They also removed a blue spell called Just the Wind. It was a bounce spell for 2, or 1 if you Madnessed it in. Right. Which is strange that they removed that, because people did try that in Constructor for quite a while. It's possible it could make uh, a comeback if they print something in the future, but to make up for that, it seems like they were pretty mindful of this. They downshifted Giza's bidding, uh, which wasn't uncommon. It was it was 2 BB for put two, two, two zombie tokens onto the battlefield, and you could Madness it for three. This has been downshifted to common. Uh, this was good in SOI. Um, it was a lot worse at blocking than Twins of Maurer Estate, let me tell you that. That card ate everything. This is not going to be for blocking. It's just going to be for... It's a zombie's archetype, I suppose, which isn't really present. And um, is still a really good rate for three mana, especially. So I think it's going to be pretty impactful. Yeah, I, I wonder I wonder if they are removing cards like Brazen Wolves as being one of the signposts uh, or one of the measuring sticks for the format being a 2-3 that attacks as a 4-3. I wonder if that means we're getting more two-toughness creatures and making uh, Giza's Bidding more of an impactful card where you get to flash this in, you get to maybe trade one of the two twos for their X2 that's attacking and you're left with one, so you get your kind of up cards and up-tempo at that point. Totally. Uh, it's going to make the limited environment definitely different. There's not many of the 3-2... Eldrazi horror tokens, which sure. were pretty endemic in uh, Eldritch Moon. Um, 
it's kind of good because there's a lot of really valuable two twos like this card you know you're making two two twos you trade it for their three two it feels great so yeah they downshifted this they also upshifted fiery temper which is the famous one uh one red red for bolt or madness red for bolt um they upshifted it to uncommon but we have alchemist greeting at common which was in eldritch moon uh you can madness this four damage to creature burn spell for two or it costs five usually my experience with alchemist greeting you cannot put this in non-madness decks you will feel true sadness right because we don't really see five mana for four damage to just a creature as being really a playable card anymore that's right it's pretty bad on rate and in this set it's going to be decent because it's an older set the creatures are a little smaller but uh yeah if you're paying two mana for it and it's instant it's obviously extremely good I was just going to ask you, is Madness contained to any particular color player? Did they, uh, sort of like Delirium, did they um, make it self-contained into one particular color or two? Yeah, they. I think they railroaded it pretty hard into black-red, uh, which is fine. Uh, originally, all the cards that said Madness were black-red, but there were random cards outside of black-red that were enablers. Uh, notably in white, you would make these white black decks with twins in it, and you know there's a guy that discards a card to tap. There's a guy that discards a card to um, make a human. Right. Um, these are pretty much all gone. I think white black with like, you know, you play the good black spells that say madness is just not really going to happen as often anymore. So don't really try for it. No, I think we I think we see with white black, its signpost uncommon is a downshifted removal spell, anguish unmaking from rare to uncommon. I think that tells me everything I need to know about white black. And as a as a card carrying Orzov member, um I appreciate the white black removal spell at uncommon, but it doesn't really tell me to do anything in particular. Right, and white black in Eldritch Moon, the one thing you needed to do to have a successful white black deck was gain life. And that this signpost uncommon is telling me to do that. It's screaming for me to do that. Absolutely. Good point. I have a lot of memories of yelling at my friends to draft Squiggle Hand, which is grotesque mutation. It was a combat trick that gave plus three, plus one, and lifelink. And you would just cast it, and it would swing the game so hard, because also you would have these huge emerge creatures. So then, as far as the remaining archetypes that we wanted to talk about, um, changes or things in which Shadows of Arnestrad remastered, changed, or altered from the original from its original set, we have a couple of tribal themes, right? Innistrad being known for its tribal synergies and the, the five tribes that we mentioned earlier. What is it you want to talk about about those? The tribes that I'm thinking of are humans, spirits, and vampires. I think humans is kind of half there. They removed, um, they removed the cards that said discard a card on it, which were incidentally human, and some cards that nobody wanted to play. I'm thinking of uh, there was a tapper... And a card that said discard a card, make a 1-1 human. True Faith Sensor is here. My favorite True Faith Sensor. It's an equipment that gives plus 1, plus 1 vigilance. And if they're human, it gives them an extra little plus 1, plus 0 boost. Um, Which is nice. And Strength of Arms is here too. Which is a 1-mana combat trick that gives plus 2, plus 2. And if you have an equipment, it gives you a 1-1. But they removed the other common equipment. Which was Shard of Broken Glass. Which was a colorless Delirium Enabler. So it's going to be pretty hard to make Strength of Arms work. Um, And since they cut a lot of the other human enablers, 
I think if you're going to have human synergies, they're going to be mostly incidental. Uh, spirits, we have uh, some cards that were cut that were kind of cornerstones of the archetype. We had Spectral Reserves, which was acceptable. As the format matured, you learned to draft this card in this archetype. It's a format of Sorcery that made two 1-1 flyers and gained some life, and most notably put a Sorcery in the bin for Delirium. But they got rid of that Delirium Spirit Flyer at two, uh, they got rid of Vessel of Ephemera, which made two 1-1 one, one spirits, and it was an enchantment to make up for the fact that they kind of gutted half of the value of spirits. They downshifted Essence Flux, which was a blue mana to flicker your own creature and put a counter on it if it's a spirit. We'll see how this archetype plays out, but the fact that they got rid of the primary way you played this deck in Shadows Limited makes me not optimistic. The last one that we probably should talk about we mentioned how black red was focused on the uh, madness mechanic um but black red is i think also the place where we see vampires um classically in innistrad and i think uh shadows of innistrad remastered has uh black red is is both a vampire tribal theme but also um with uh, madness weaved into that yeah, you're going to have a few cards that say Vampire on them like you used to, like Indulgent Aristocrat, which is a 1-1 one, one for 1 where you can sack a creature and put a counter on each Vampire. For the most part, this is not really an archetype. It's just Innistrad, so check out the Vampires. Right. The last archetype I want to talk about, I think, is Green-White Sacrifice, um, which wore a lot of hats back then. You kind of think of green-white as this human's deck, but there was a green-white sack deck, and it was not bad. And it featured Bloodbriar, which is a two-mana, or sorry, a three-mana, two-three, that gets a counter when you sack something. So you would put this in your clues deck, and you would sack a clue, and it would get a counter. And you would right. also sneak this into your green-white deck, because you had a Lunark Mantle, which you still have, right. which is a two-mana, two-two aura. Uh, you can sack a permanent and give the creature flying, so you would sack a land. You would turn on Delirium, and you would plump your Bloodbriar in the middle of combat. Bloodbriar is still in the set, and I have to imagine it's still quite good, but the archetypes that include it are going to be hard to make work. And one of the quote-unquote green-white sacrifice payoffs is uh, Unruly Mob, which has been removed, which is a two-mana 1-1 one, one that gets a counter every time a creature you control dies. Yeah, so I think we still see some remnants of that deck, but you're right, without a major reason for going into that, it's probably going to be more uh, micro-synergies as opposed to uh, something where you draft one or two cards and then you sort of are all in and building around those de those building around those cards. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I When we did our set review, Greg often encourages me to look at the uh, two-color signpost uncommons. Um, and I I did not want to do it for this set because I didn't think it would be relevant. And it's not. No, and, and I think that's a good point. I think most of modern limited design, Watsi does a pretty good job of giving us signposts on commons that tell us what we're supposed to do. It doesn't always tell us whether the archetype is going to be good or supported or good in the meta, but it does tell us what they were thinking about what they wanted to do and where certain cards that might look homeless looking through a spoiler, where they might actually be intended for. Totally. This is obviously less of a curated set than the original set, so it's not surprising that synergies are low and signposts on commons are virtually impossible to stick in meaningfully. So, 
So then in week one, what are you really going to be looking for as far as um, you, you mentioned earlier that you want to draft rates, that you want to um, stay away from synergy until you figure out more of what's going on. Week one, what, what cards or, or other themes are you looking for? Um, so these are cards that I remember being good and contextually to the set review, uh, I think will still be good in white. Angelic Purge, which is three mana, uh, sacrifice a permanent, exile a non-land permanent. Right, exile being obviously very good on that. Yes, which could be a little worse now that there's not graveyard stuff, but also there's not many emerge creatures, so we'll see how much worse this card gets. Um, right. We have Dauntless Cathar, which was the best white common creature. It was a 3-mana three 3-2, three and out of the graveyard, you could pay some mana to make a 1-1 one, one flyer. Right, that's really... It's similar into the, the style of the uh, the card that you were talking about earlier that was one of your, your most drafted cards on... on... Ghoul Colors Accomplice, right. hell yeah. Those are both in the same vein. White was a lot more drafted than black, which is why I have more of the black version. Sure. Um, Bound by Moonsilver... Uh, this got downshifted to common, but this was an uncommon. You might have remembered it's a three-mana uh, arrest, and you can sack another permanent to move this to another creature. So, you know, you could put it on a creature on turn three and then blank their bomb on turn seven. This card was pretty good. Right, and this card obviously had a lot of synergy with anything that wanted to sacrifice or anything you wanted to send to your graveyard that was um, a, a weird permanent for Delirium. If those synergies are not as available in this remastered set, do you still see that as do you still see that that option to move it later as upside or just something that is gravy? Uh, I think it's upside. Th this card was pretty annoying. I mean, you would just be looking at it on the battlefield like I have my bomb. Uh, one thing to mention is a thing that made this card a lot worse was emerge, obviously. Um, right, but there's not much of it. I mean, there's some out of common still, so who knows? But I'm guessing this card's going to be pretty good. The last white common I want to talk about is Sigardian Priest. This is obviously a riff on Avicinian Priest, which was very good in the original Limit Shroud. It's a 2-mana 1-2 with a tap ability, tap target non-human. Uh, I think this is still going to be pretty good. It was quite solid. You'd run one or two, be pretty happy with it. They almost always have non-humans to tap. Shout out to Faithbearer Paladin. It's a 5-mana 3-4 lifelinker. Um, bigger than it looks, and the lifelink is pretty relevant. Remember how we said the black deck wants to gain life? Right. This card was not like a bomb or anything, but it definitely was more than chaff. Um, all right, in blue we have Drag Under, which is a 3-mana sorcery um, bounce a creature draw card. This card was great, obviously. Ingenious Scab, which is a 3-mana 2-3 with Prowess, and you could pay a mana to plus one minus one it this thing attacked so well yeah absolutely let me stop you and just ask you because we didn't talk about a blue red theme obviously um i think blue red being a spells based uh, archetype in this remastered set do you think that the pieces for that are still going to be here in the way that a normal blue-red archetype comes together, or do you think it's more or less supported? I think it's one of those uncommon archetypes. It was originally, too. Um, a good thank you for bringing this up. Uh, the cornerstone of this deck, which was actually kind of insane, was 
Thermo Alchemist. There's two mana O3 Defender. You can tap it to ping each opponent, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, untap this creature. And you could just get a million of these, and it would rip people apart. Right, so this was most recently printed at Uncommon in Midnight Hunt, yeah. and it was definitely an Uncommon-based archetype in that set as well. So it sounds like, as opposed to it being at Common in Shadows, now they have... Uh, decided that that type of spell and that type of archetype they want to be um, built around at the uncommon yeah, level. Yeah, it was in Eldritch Moon. So you could even get not that many of them, but this card being at 03, you would just put it in so many decks. Uh, it was like, you, it, it's one of these creatures that doesn't participate in combat that has to die. That's always pretty good. But again, it's uncommon yep. and a lot of the payoffs uh, for this archetype. And people also remember the Rise from the Tides, uh, Blue black archetype again this is uncommon now yeah that was definitely uh an, an off-label type of archetype that um i remember hearing stories of but i never got to come together myself. i definitely two three or sorry two one a few times with rise from the sides it was an uncommon originally we also have wretched griff uh we already talked about this and they downshifted guys to the archives which is a three mana oh four that scries um and imprisoned in the moon which three mana aura to turn something into a waste um i'm not that excited about any of these blue commons i'm not gonna lie ingenious scab was quite good and wretch griff was quite good but might be harder to make work but not thrilled right you definitely have to build around both of those yeah and the bottom end of blue does not look very appealing to me in black we have dead weight which has been printed many times it's a one mana aura that gives neg two neg two we have Ghoul Colors Accomplice, which we headlined the show with. It's two mana, two, two, that comes back for four mana as another two, two. And Giza's Bidding, which we also talked about, downshifted. Uh, these are all quite good. Um, I want to give a shout out to Gavany Unhallowed. This is a two mana, two, four. Whenever another creature you control dies, put a counter on Gavany Unhallowed. Um, you know, this was in the same set as Unruly Mob, which is bad. Gavany Unhallowed was good enough. It wasn't a bomb or anything, but this card was a 2-4 for 4, which at the time was pretty good. And it would get huge really fast, because it doesn't have a once-a-turn cap on it. Right. I also want to give a minor shout-out to Borrowed Malevolence. You should be able to identify this as a combat trick that can give plus or minus, or both. It's fine. It's not insane, but it's better than it looks. In red, we have Ember Eye Wolf. And this is a good card that was is better than it looks. It is a 1-2 two for 2 with haste. And you can pump it. And the pump is plus 2 plus 1. Uh, sorry. The pump is plus 2 plus 0. This card, when I first saw it, looked like crap because it's a 2-mana 1-2. Um, in the mid and late game, this would just pants you. It would come off the top of the deck and it would be like an 11-2 and you'd be with haste and you're like, cool. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, it's one of those good mono-red cards that is good on turn 2, and it's good on turn 10, because you get to dump all your mana into this thing, and it often trades up, yeah, right? Yeah, that's exactly it, it's right. Not, it's not the type of card that's going to sit on the battlefield as a 2-drop and then get outclassed if you don't get in with it on turn 3. Yes, and they have to deal with it on some level. It's not insane or anything, but this I remember very underrating this in Shadows. It came out, and it was pretty good. 
Um, they downshifted a card called Conduit of Storms, which is a complicated werewolf, but it's a 3-mana 2-3 that, when it attacks, it makes mana. Um, it was pretty good at uncommon. I imagine it's going to be pretty good at common. And we had uh, my favorite, Pyre Hound, which is a 4-mana 2-3 with Trample, and every time you cast an instant or sorcery, you put a counter on this card. So this is one of those cards that's going to help hold together the blue-red spells archetype. Yeah, this was smack dab in the middle of that archetype. It was really good. Um, they reprinted it in the master set later. Um, let me make the small comment that they got rid of Uncaged Fury, which was kind of the reason to run this card, um, which was a three-mana plus one, plus one, and double-strike trick at common. They they upshifted that to uncommon, so it's going to make this deck a little... Because you would have turns where you attack on turn 7 with Pyrehound into a massive board, and, you know, you have three mana up, and your opponent just looks at it and, like, rolls their eyes. Because there's no good way to block it. It's going to get huge immediately. Yeah, it's interesting, because Uncaged Fury is definitely the kind of card that we've seen more recently. Uh, creatures that get buffed and get double strike. Um have been more at the uncommon rarity as opposed to common, which I think this might be one of the last sets in which they had it at a, at a common rarity. You can tell this card was quote-unquote iconic because it was an M25. Sorry, what was it called? 25th anniversary set? Yeah, A25. Yeah, and it was in M20 at uncommon. So they recognized that this card is too good for common because it goes in master sets and it goes in core sets at uncommon. Well, it's just the kind of card that invalidates... Uh, you know, the previous X number of turns of the game when it comes, you know, when it gets cast. Well, specifically with this trample creature, I should say. Right, right. On a conceptual level, right, a card like Uncaged Fury is going to come down. I imagine in the arena era with 17 lands, this is the type of card that's going to have a pretty high game in hand win rate because when it gets cast, the game is usually over. Totally. And um, I want to say that Drag Under was very good specifically against this card. It spent a lot of time putting counters on it. You would drag under it, and you'd make them play a four mana two three. You mean on pyre? On pyre hand specifically, yeah. Yep, yep, it's a good. Point. Um, the other cool thing about red, it should be pretty obvious, but there's three burn spells at common. One's two mit, one's two damage, one's three damage, one's four damage. Um, this is the color at common that has the most removal. The burn you're talking about is both at common and uncommon, right? Y no, these are all at common, and there's burn at uncommon. What's the three damage at common? Uh, incendiary flow, which used to be uncommon. Oh, that's right. Really, they gave us everything. Uh, yep. And this is, for context, it's a sorcery two-mana spell that deals three damage to any target and exiles a creature if it dies. This was played in that standard, by the way. Yeah, this, is in this card's incredible. Yeah, and it's at common. Um, they upshifted the madness one to uncommon, whatever. Um, and it's kind of weird to me that they downshifted the one that fits in every deck and upshifted the one that's archetypal. They're kind of communicating that, like, this isn't really an archetype set. This is a funsy set. Yeah, that's fair. There's Yeah, there's a lot of removal in red. Uh, by the way, there's not a great uh, no-questions-asked kill spell in black. There just isn't Right. kind of a big deal, especially for these black um, spells matter decks and these black I-care-about-killing-stuff decks, which is black-white. Um, okay, moving on to green, we have Bloodbriar. That's the two, three mana, two, three that has Sax Energy we talked about. Um, Byway Courier. This is a three mana, three, two that when it dies, you investigate, which is you make a clue. Uh, this, by the way, was my second most drafted card on Magic Online. Love this card. Nice. Uh, we have Ulvenvald Captive, which was a two mana, mana dork. Um, 
that had werewolf text and became big later on. Right. Was this one of the ones that you had to pay to flip? Yes, this was. You had to pay seven to transform it, which is fine because it makes your two drop mana dork useful later in the game. It becomes a four six, which is pretty big. Absolutely. Well, it definitely goes in that same vein of Ember yes. Eye Wolf with these red green werewolf decks needing two drops to get on the board to affect the board to get ahead whatever you want to say but then being able to do something with them later be able to dump mana into them um, later is a really really important thing for a modern aggressive deck in limited Uh, i want to mention about this card um it is better than it looks for two reasons one you can tap itself to pay for the transform cost and two you could transform it instant speed so on turn six you could literally just pass hold up this card and if they're smart they can't even attack right and all you all you have to do is flip this card you just time walk them basically so you can develop your board it was very potent they downshifted briarbridge patrol which was a four mana three three that when it um hit a creature you investigated um it was pretty good i want to say it was uncommon so you didn't play with it that much but if you could make it work you were getting clues all the time and it felt terrible to be on the other end yeah absolutely just getting card advantage off of combat um okay the last one i want to talk about rabid bite we talked about this before it's sorcery speed two mana one-sided fight um obviously good Especially when they're getting rid of some of the larger things in the emerge creatures. There's no more twins of Maurer Estate. I think the average creature size is going to be a little bit smaller. Uh, in my better than it looks category, I have a really unobvious winner in Thornhigh Wolves. This is a five mana four five with no other text that's not italic. Um, it was just big <laughs> enough. Let me tell you, it was just big enough, and it said the word wolf on it which was sometimes relevant. Uh, this wasn't amazing or anything, but you wouldn't be embarrassed to put this at the top of your curve, you know? Right. Well, and, and if this card is is a player in the format and is a, a card that you actively want to have in your decks at five mana, um, it is probably the type of format in which rates matter exactly. more than synergy. And again, this is not a bomb or anything, but it is playable, and you, it was. I'm keeping my eye on it. I don't know what the sizing is going to look like, but... We're going to see. Um, the other better than it looks is a combat trick called Confront the Unknown. It's one mana. You investigate, and then that creature gets plus one, plus one for each clue you control. Generally, a one mana draw card win combat is awesome. And that is the worst mode of this card. Um, it also has sacrifice synergies with Bloodbriar. If you're in a clues deck, this card gave like plus four, plus four. It was insane. Um, obviously, the floor is not great because if you're behind, you don't have time to crack the clue right. and it just gives plus one, plus one, but definitely better than it looks. Yeah, so I mean, I think this is part of the, the nature of a remastered set. Uh, you can't have a set that is four, five, six hundred cards. They have to make it uh, a reasonable size, and so there are decisions they have to make. Um, f- you know, for my money, I'm hoping that they made the right choices to create uh, an interesting limited format. Um, David, are you going to jump onto Arena to play any of this, or are you going to be sticking to uh, to other formats? I will watch you draft it, let me say. I haven't logged on to Arena in over a year. <laughs> and it... 
Well, there's no. If it's a good year, I won't play Arena at all as well. Greg and I have a little bit of a rivalry. He doesn't like uh, Magic Online, and I don't like Arena. It's not about like and dislike. It's about the ease for which you can get in and out of a game on Arena. We've talked about. You this are before. allowed to present your case while I don't present mine. I will allow this. Um, so <laughs> what? Enough. What are you going to be drafting on day one? Oh yeah, this is always baffling to me. There's a bunch of Dingus cards being added, just like random cards out of nowhere. You tell me about it, because I never understand. Well, so what they're giving us are called Shadows of the Past cards. And for each week that the set is available on Arena, uh, sort of like Mystical Archives from Strixhaven, we're going to have cards. I believe there's going to be a card from this list in each pack. And we'll obviously see the commons more often than we'll see the uncommons and the rares and the mythics. But they're... Um, I guess the idea is that the set would evolve uh, based on what week you're drafting it um, and based on the, the cards that are available. David, are there any from the, the list that you've seen that, that jump out to you? For for me, the one I'm looking forward to drafting on Arena for the first time is in week two, which is Lingering Souls, probably my one of my favorite cards of all time. I never got to play Lingering Souls in a limited environment. And so I'm looking forward to doing uh, I have that a here. bunch of just very small comments. Uh, in week one, you're going to get destroyed by Bloodline Keeper if this is actually... It looks like it's at Mythic, but who knows what rarity they're going to have it. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, in week two, Travel Preparations was legendary in original Innistrad. Um, I don't know whether it's going to be the uncommon version we saw in Double Masters or the insane version in original Innistrad, but get ready to get Travel preparation. I would hope travel preparations is not going to be offered to us at common, but you yeah, never know. you never know really. Um, sell us conscripts in week three, get ready to lose from any board states. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, murder of crows was quite good. It's a five mana four, four flyer with other texts. And then the fourth week just has a bunch of bombs, right? Like Huntmaster, snapcaster, Sigarda, uh, Avacyn. Balefire Dragon, hello Mao. It's my sense that they want to, oh, and, and probably my favorite creature of all time. Oh, Geist God, yeah, Craft. awesome. So fun and limited. Well, so my sense of this is, A, these remastered sets often can peter out and you can lose momentum going into a new set. And I think this is the set that they're giving us to bridge the gap between one and March of the Machines. And so they're trying to keep the set fresh, but also... Like we talked about earlier, they're trying to introduce new cards onto Arena. We obviously still only have a limited card pool. Card pool. We don't have all of Pioneer. We certainly don't have all of Modern. And we don't have a lot of the cube staples that you would see in Magic Online offerings. For instance, a card like Snapcaster Mage or, or like you mentioned, Zell's Conscript. There is no doubt in my mind that Zell's Conscript is here so that the Arena Cube, or the next iteration of the Arena Cube, has that available is, to it. Sorry to cut in. I is think... this new on Arena? Like, there's no Snapcaster on Arena yet? Correct. There is no Snapcaster, there's no Geist, there's no Conscripts. Um, some of these are on there already, uh, and are flavorful, and then others of them are being added, again, in my opinion, to juice up the Cube I think offerings. it's more than that. I'm looking at Gristlebrand here. Uh, that's a pretty constructive card. Um, also, I want to say, if this is the only printing of these cards, get those wild cards ready, buddy. 
<laughs> these are going to be in constructed decks, and you're going to need wild cards. It's only going to be here for a week. Well, that is one of the benefits of playing uh, solely on Arena and drafting as my primary mode of uh, magic enjoyment on Arena. I've got wild it's cards. It's true, but you don't play probably. constructed, so they're kind of pointless. That's right. So I'm just looking forward to putting a Grizzlebrand into play in an Arena cube. One last thing. Go ahead. For every limited set, I want to know how I can get punished. There's only one board wipe in the main set. Good point. It's a six mana card called Descend Upon the Sinful. This was well known for having a typo in the French version. I think it was French version, which translated to Descend Upon the Fisherman. <laughs> uh, you're not going to get It's at Mythic. You're, you don't have to play around many board wipes. That's fair. The fact that it's at Mythic, I think, matters to me more than it than it being at six mana. Uh, just coming, bringing to mind uh, seeing four white-white on the opponent's battlefield from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, <laughs> and knowing that I was about to get owned by the card Farewell. Which was a rare, which felt awful. It felt terrible. <laughs> Unless you were the one casting it. Totally, totally. All right, that's all I have to say. All right, well, thank you for joining us on the Best of Two podcast. This is Greg and David signing off.